Welcome to this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast. This week's guest is NBA champion Channing Frye. He's the host of the Talkin' Blazers podcast on NBC Sports Northwest. Go check him out there. It's rare to get a guy who is candid about what it takes to be an NBA player and the life of an NBA player, but also he's a Portland fan. So go check him out there. Uh, he's also an analyst at Turner Sports, and he's the co-host of the Road Trippin' podcast. In his playing career, he went all over the place. He started with the Knicks, then moved on to the Blazers, the Magic, Cavs, Suns, Lakers. And on the pod, we're going to talk about all that, playing with LeBron, playing with Steve Nash, Vince Carter, the virtues of load management. What if Brandon Roy took some days off to rest his knee? What if Larry Bird did the same? We're going to talk Kyrie's reputation, the 82-game grind, and why the Blazers need to make a trade. Lots of good stuff from my newest teammate at NBC Sports. So without further ado, here's Channing Fry. I understand you are uh, not in the comforts of your own home. You are not in the office. Where are you right now? No, no. Right now I'm, uh, I'm actually at a doctor's, a naturopathic uh, doctor's office, uh, getting an IV basically. Like, um, you know, I travel a lot. Um, and I don't want to get sick. And, uh, you know, I travel between Portland and Atlanta and basically all over the country. And I'm on planes and always next to people and stuff. So I, uh, you get like these immune pushes and uh, um, IVs like biweekly, you know, a couple times a month. So I stay healthy. The things that NBA players will do to stay healthy. And I'm on the light side. There are different things. You know, guys, have, you know, with all the information out there talking about um, acupuncture, the shell tanks with like the Epsom salt, um, hyperbaric chambers, you know, it's really trying to, you know, prolong the athlete's career and his health afterwards. It's pretty ridiculous that, you know, every day you're watching LeBron James, you played with him uh, for a few years there in Cleveland. You played with Steve Nash when he was 35 and you were coming to the Suns in 2009. What do these guys do to stay on top of their games at at age 35? LeBron's turning 35 next month. Can you give yeah. us a window into what Steve Nash and LeBron James do to keep themselves ready at such a high level, at such a late age in their career? Well, I think there's a lot of guys that have done that. You look at play with Vince Carter, play with Grant Hill. Um, I think it starts, first of all, with the diet. Um, you know, the diet is number one, that they take care of themselves, they eat right. You know, for the most part, they're not sticklers about what they eat, but they just watch what they eat. Um, carefully and then it's about rest it's about um, consistent work those guys are working not only like to lift weights but working on their body every day Um, and then they just get rest you know they sleep a lot Um, they don't put a lot of stress on their bodies unnecessarily what does that mean like don't put stress on their bodies unnecessarily is that like i mean they're not going and uh like they're not going skydiving they're not like doing anything really rigorous outside of the sport that they do you know, they're not, for the most part, pretty chill personalities. And so just little day-to-day things that, that people, I think, don't assume. You know, they're not, like, going out and getting road rage. You know, they're always, like, taking care of their bodies when they go on airplanes, um, making sure they're taking their vitamins, you know, making sure they're getting the right fluids, um, staying hydrated. What is the craziest thing you saw Steve or LeBron do to keep themselves ready? Like, somewhere you're just like, wait, um, I think it's what? just the consistency. Yeah, yeah, the consistency is, like, you know, it's it's monotonous and it is tedious and they are like robots when it comes to their routine and like just their diets and what they eat and how they eat and when they eat. And, you know, like if we go out to dinner sometimes, um, like let's say we go out to dinner and we have like, you know, obviously there's a group of eight to ten of us. So if we 
you know, pop open a couple bottles for the big table, uh, those guys will make sure they have like a bottle of um, like adult electrolytes or Pedialyte to rehydrate themselves for the next day so they don't feel terrible the next morning. So they're just pumping themselves with Pedialyte. That's something I did uh, in dude, college, I mean, it's Channing. Just, it's always, yeah. No, I know, but like, you know, just making sure they're drinking enough water. You know, like, is the water pH balanced? Is there, you know, like all this type of stuff. It's it's pretty wild. But, you know, for them, it's not so wild because they've been playing at such a high level for so long. Yeah, I feel like Steve and maybe Grant were on this train for a long time, but like stretching long and time. just doing, doing like. Yeah, dude. What, what, Goodness gracious. I can't imagine uh, what it's like to watch is, yeah. these guys. Oh, dude, yeah. Kevin is really into that. Like, Kevin's workouts, you know, Kevin used to be a chubby guy, Kevin Love, and then he really changed his body. Um, he's constantly being, you know, kind of ahead of the game about, like, you know, his techniques, his routine. You know, one of the best trainers of the workers was, was Gunnar Peterson. And he, um, you know, was with the Lakers and really was kind of evolutionized, like, how to warm up, how to work out, how to cool down, um, and just challenge your body every day in the weight room. It's wild. I mean, I think one of the things that fans don't see is behind the scenes, what kind of work goes into them suiting up and looking like the way they do. And I think now with load management being such a big talking point, people just assume that players are being pampered and that they just want to take a day off. But even when players are, you were there with, uh, with the Cavs when Kevin or when Kyrie or LeBron took a night off, they're still getting work in. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think – Listen, that word load management has such a bad stigma to it. It's like we're really only talking about a handful of guys in the league. Um, and those guys have had injuries. So, you know, I don't know who – like, imagine this. Like, I, you know, a good example would be like Larry Bird was injury-ridden throughout his career. Imagine if Larry Bird every year took off 10 games and it prolonged him for another five or six years. Like, would you take that – you know, would you substitute those 10 games per year for another six years on his career? I think most people would, especially to a favorite player. So, you know, the load management thing is, is only dealing with issues that come with a certain player. And then those certain cases come from, can your team handle your best player not playing on certain nights and you still be successful? And then if you're trying to go for a championship, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Is that player's health? Um, and is he healthy for the playoffs? Yeah, you talked about this on the Talking Blazers podcast on NBC Sports Northwest. And uh, yeah. you, you mentioned that, you know, you'd like to see Dame or CJ take nights off, but can their team withstand that? And you don't know the answer until they do, right? Yeah, you totally don't. Yeah, you totally don't. I think if you're going for a, you know, if you're trying to make sure you establish your team and, and um, you know, you make it to the playoffs, you got to play almost every night to make sure that you're staying within those standings. But a team like the Clippers who have a Kawhi Leonard, who have, you know, who have a great supporting cast, they're going to be one through four, one through eight, regardless you know, even if Kawhi doesn't play half the season, you know, because of the talent that they have. But, you know, a team like the Blazers, where they rely so much on Dame and CJ, it's tough, you know. But, again, if you wait, if, if Dame averages 40 minutes a night and he gets a playoff, how much does he have left? You know what I'm saying? How much does he have left in the tank uh, to go for that run? And that's really the question. It's like, it's not that you're giving him a night off. It's just you're asking him to do above and beyond what everyone else is doing and his body is going to break down. So do you want Dane for 40 minutes for 30 games or do you want Dane for, you know, 62, 70 games and have him 35 ish minutes? Yeah. I think it, it comes with the territory of, of going deep in the playoffs and realizing how much it takes at that level. Right. Like Dame is a guy who is so proud of his durability. Yeah. He's a guy who came in in the league 
and didn't miss a game for his first three seasons in the league, 82, 82, 82. And so this is a guy who thinks of himself as, you know, an Iron Man in this sport and very much has lived up to that, that, uh, reputation. So, you know, when I talk to older, uh, you know, former players, Channing, it's, it's, it does feel like I'm talking to my parents about walking uphill in the snow to and from school uphill both ways. Like this macho idea of like, man, we didn't need that, that load management. We, we played four nights in a row. And at some point I want to just say what you said, Channing is what if you did get that day off? What if, what if Larry did get those? Cause here's a list Channing of of NBA hall of famers who didn't even make it to age 35. Bill Russell, yeah. Allen Iverson, Isaiah Thomas, James Worthy, George Mikan, Clyde Frazier, T Mac. Like, if you would ask those guys, could you imagine? Yeah. Would you extend your yeah. career a year or two, three, four, if you just took care of your body on those nights instead of and, and grinding dudes, through it? You know, a lot of these old players, they have bad knees, bad hips, bad ankles. They just didn't have the information that we do today. And what's crazy is, is that, you know, this has become a big deal, but the Spurs have been doing this for forever since Pop has been there, mm-hmm. you know? And you think about how long Tim Duncan played. You think about how long Ginobili played. You look at their storied careers and championship runs that they went on, and all of a sudden now everyone makes a big stink about it. But if you look, Kawhi did low management, won a championship, had one of the best playoff series of all time. You look at, like, the Spurs, whenever they were in the playoffs, they were running crazy rings around everybody else. They were rested. They were healthy. You know, you didn't really hear them with a lot of, you know, injuries going on. And Steve Kerr, too. The Warriors, the Warriors did yeah, it, too. Steve Curry, yeah. But again, you you know, if you're a fan, I understand that's upsetting if that's the one game you're going to. And maybe the communication between the players and the owners and the fans um, and the coaches need to be like, you know, we'll figure out a happy medium. But at the end of the day, if I, if I knew that like, let's say I'm a I'm a big Blazers fan, so let's say I say, you know what, I know we're going to make the playoffs, but Dame is only going to play 70, 70 games this year. So I'm going to, each month, give him a couple games off to take care of his body, get his mental right, you know, cut down on the travel, you know, so like on a road trip, even if it's one day, he gets to stay at home, take care of his body, you know, get activated rest. If I knew it was going to give us a better chance to win, I would do that 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, but... I don't know. Do you think it's more of a macho thing? Like just like pride of taking um, a night off? I just think they just, you know, they, you know, good for them. But in all honesty, I, I'm pretty sure if they had the opportunity to not so much take a game off, but if they played back to back 40 minutes or back to backs, you know, if they didn't have an, like if they had an opportunity to take that back to back off and be fresh for the next five or seven games, they would have done that. You know, they would have said, you know, here, let me take care of my body. Let me rest. Let me get some good sleep. You know, let me get an IV, eat good. And then the next five or six games, I'm at 100% instead of being like at 40 and trying to tough it out. And then that's when you get injured and can't play for 25, 30 games because you twist an ankle or you hurt your leg or you pull a hamstring. But I think what the conventional wisdom says, injuries are just flukes. Like it can happen anytime. So who cares? That's, like- that's ridiculous. No, no, no. Injuries are going to happen. But a lot of injuries are caused by fatigue did and you by have lack one? of rest. Did you have an injury um, that, dude, was, that you were yeah, like, man, like I, I shouldn't have played tonight. I knew like my ankle or my hip or whatever. Well, I just had, I mean, obviously there's always something that's going to hurt. Like once you start playing basketball, but there have been times in practice where I've had like stress reactions 
because I'm just exhausted. You know, the physicality was just, you know, I played three games and three nights and by, by the third game, I was just like, like a walking zombie. I slept for like, I think 14 hours after those games. I think it was like, we had a game in Phoenix and we had a back-to-back game in Utah and Denver. So we played Phoenix, Utah, Denver, all in different cities. And then after that, when I came home, I was like, I slept for 14 straight hours. It's like if I had an opportunity to, obviously it was during the lockout, but if I had an opportunity to sit one of those games out, it definitely wouldn't have put me in the in the hole when it came to, you know, fatigue and maybe getting injured. I'm looking at that schedule right now. Channing, this is nuts. You did at Sacramento, at Utah, at Denver in April. So there we you, went, go. you went through yeah. the entire season and then had to go and do that. Yeah, it was crazy. It's just like, you know, those are certain circumstances. But again, we're talking about uh, like a superstar who has had injury problems. And so his team is trying to take care of his body and prolong his career and give them the best chance it is to win um, a championship and be for them to be healthy during the playoffs. And at the end of the day, not everybody can do that. Not every player wants to do that. But if that's what's best for him, that's what's best for his health, who are we to judge that? Yeah, Kyrie got a lot of, a lot of last year for that when he said something like, yeah, I'll turn it on when the playoffs come. But Kawhi last year – he said similar thing, which is like the regular season to me is like a preseason for the playoffs because I know what it takes yeah. to win a championship. And so the whole season is just me staying healthy and ready for the postseason. Yeah. So when Kyrie says Go. it, it might make the, people feel a certain way. But Kawhi just won a title using this this program. It worked. Yeah. Well, dude, I think a lot of teams have won titles using this program. You know, the Warriors last year, sad guys kind of at the end of the year. I think the thing is, is like instead of sitting guys at the end of the year, um, I think the Clippers are very um, have sat down with not only Kawhi with their doctors and said, "Hey, listen, this is the games we're not going to play you because we don't want to put you in a situation where you might re-injure whatever injury you have on your knees." That's asking a lot, you know, for him and his and his body. Obviously, can't handle that. The thing that people miss about Kawhi is that he had 84 games last year. He played 84 yeah. games last year. Yeah. Like this and guy I, played I nine the games is, the year before and then played 84. Yeah. yeah, and I think the thing was last year he was on the Raptors and people didn't notice, but he only played He played 84, including the playoffs. Yeah. So he only played 62, I think, or 60 or 62 games last year during the regular season. So he did take a lot of time off. Now that Raptors team was really good. Now everyone, you know, I think for them, he had an excuse because he said, hey, my, you know, I just played eight last year. I need to, you know, kind of recover from that. And this year it's like, hey, if that worked last year, I'm going to continue to do this this year. Switching gears for a second here, you are one of two seven-footers ever to make at least 1,000 three-pointers. It's you and Dirk. Uh, that's crazy. You didn't know that. <laughs> you didn't know that? Well, there we go. No, um, there's only two seven-footers who have made uh, 1,000 three-pointers. It's you and Dirk. And knowing where the NBA is going now, I'm sure that list will get a lot. That island's going to get populated a lot. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I remember doing a stat about you as a shooter getting passes from LeBron, and it yeah. was Kevin Love. This was, I think, in the 2016 2017 season. You and Kevin were shooting 43 of 74 on three pointers, a 58 oh, percent, wow. when you were getting a pass from LeBron. <laughs> Well, listen, that man can pass. I played with some really, really, really good passers in my day. Um, between he, him and Steve, man, those two really were just amazing. Getting to you on time, um, making sure that you knew, like, the ball was, like, in the right spot. It was um, 
it was amazing to be able to play with that level of guy that, you know, as a shooter, you know, a pass, if it's too to your knees, if it's too high, can throw you off. But uh, those guys were just really just throwing dimes out there. And with LeBron, it was you had to be ready no matter where he was on the floor. Yeah, because he's 6'9", he sees everything. And so he's out there just flanging that thing um, just all over the place. And it was just, again, like I said, man, it was – I know when I'm open, and then the ball was already there by the time I knew I was open. His court vision is pretty amazing. How, how did you know that you could be a guy who make over 153s that first year in Phoenix? Did did Griff well, or did. did Kerr? Who was it that unlocked yeah, all that? Of them. Um, I think it was a, a lot of everything. You know, Griff and Kerr really um, were just inspirational to me in my career, and I owe them. You know, everything for giving me that chance. Same with Alvin Gentry. You know, he was the one I was like, dude, just you could shoot the ball. In my system, this is what's going to help us. And he explained it and was like, here, you do the work and I'll give you the opportunity. And he was one of the most honest coaches I've ever played for. He goes, listen, at minimum, you're going to start half the season. Um, but he goes, for us and what's best for us is I start centers based on the matchup um, and what's best for us, you know. And so me and Robert Lopez um I think split that year, 41 starts. and But neither one of us really cared. We were like, whatever's best for the team, let's do it. So um, it was fun. It was one of my funner years. How did you select that situation? And what <clears throat> is it about David Griffin, who's now with the New Orleans Pelicans and Steve Kerr, in terms of basketball philosophy that drew you to that? I think for me, you know, playing in Portland at that time, I just didn't feel like that was my type of system. Um, I didn't feel like I was developing like who I was and, and that longevity of like who I would have became to be in the league and who I became actually. Um, so, you know, when I turned down an opportunity to stay in Portland, I was talking to Phoenix and, uh, you know, I ended up taking a, a really one year deal and kind of betting on myself, basically the minimum um, and just having a conversation with Griff and Kerr and uh, Alvin Gentry was really about just getting an opportunity to, to find out who I was as a basketball player, and they were going to give me that opportunity and a chance to go play at home and to play with Steve Kerr or Steve Nash. And Amari was absolutely huge. Um, and, you know, it, everything just worked out, man. I just opportunity, um, hard work, and just belief in myself and, um, you know, just taking pride in wearing that, that son's uniform. So are you brokering to get Kevin Love in Portland now? You know what? I, I'm a Blazer <laughs> fan. Don't get me wrong. I'm a, I would love to see Kevin here, not because – He's doing bad in Cleveland or whatever it is. I think Cleveland's actually playing some good ball this year. I just think that the Blazers are really, really, really thin in the front court. And for them to be successful and to, uh, you know, take advantage of this opportunity that they have with Dane being in his prime and CJ being in his prime, um, you need somebody else. They need that third star. So they need somebody that can not only rebound on the interior but play defense, um, but somebody that can, you know, handle the ball, pass, and uh, score on the block. Yeah, they need a Draymond Green on that team just as a facilitator, a guy. Who can... Yes, I'll do it. That would be, you know what, he's obviously, you know, he's not my favorite person in the world, but that guy can play, man, especially with shooters around him. Um, you know, his passion for the game is infectious, um, and he makes a huge impact on the ball, even though things that he does aren't in his stat book. But, yeah, I think they just need somebody that, you know, when Dame and CJ have the ball, for the most part, they're going to go score it. Um, but they need somebody that's going to facilitate and get other people involved. 
it makes things so much easier in the postseason, right? In regular season, I think the Blazers, if they're healthy, can win you know fifty, sixty games in their sleep. But like in the postseason, when they're when they need multiple actions or have some sort of unpredictability and have some flexibility yeah. in the offense, that's when a, a Draymond or a Kevin Love right. can really like unleash yeah. and Gallinari, unlock. Different... You know, uh, Blake Griffin, those kind of four men, like those four men that can bring the ball up. Um, and just create something off the offense. And I think this year with their injuries, the Blazers just are like, let me get just get into the playoffs. You know, the West is tough this year. The Mavericks are playing well. You know, the the Houston's solid this year. San Antonio's off to a rough start, but they'll kind of come around there. And I think, you know, for the Blazers, they really need to make sure that, you know, February 15th trade deadline, they make some moves and, and uh, kind of go for it. For those people at home who are listening, you can follow Channing Fry. I'm not ending the pod here. This is just a plug for your Twitter oh, yeah, account. Okay. At Channing Fry, uh, C-H-A-N-N-I-N-G-F-R-Y-E. And you tweeted recently that Kyrie is a top five shooter that you've played with in your career. So now oh, yeah. I'm, th- I'm thinking right now in my head, I'm like, who are the other four? Or do you have 10 top five guys? <laughs> like When we talk about top five, you realize oh, maybe maybe there's 10 guys so um, I I would say my top five shooters I've ever played with would be Vince Carter, Steve Nash, Kyrie, Kyle Korver, and Blazers or Knicks. Anyone from there? Um, Is Q on that no. list? I don't know if he was uh, elite. Yeah, but I wouldn't put Q up there. Like shooter, shooter, shoot. I would put myself up there. <laughs> that uh, boy. No, I would say. Uh, what about Kevin? Uh, Is Kevin Mike- in there? No, I put Michael Red. Kevin's top ten. Kevin's definitely top ten, but he's not up there with, you know, Kyrie and Kyle Korver and Steve and Vince and Michael Red. Oh, Michael Red. So he was in Phoenix with you. Yep. That's right. I played with some really great, yeah, some really great players. Really great players. I mean, so many players that if if they had if they didn't have the knee issues with Brandon Roy right. and Michael yeah. Red, man. Oh man. Whew. Yeah. Imagine this: if somebody was like, "Hey, my hey." You know, Brandon Roy, you can only, based on your knees, we're only going to play you 60 games a year. Imagine what that would have done for his career. You know, he'd have been a Hall of Famer, no question. He was one of the best scorers I've ever played with. Yeah, because it's like, and also the word microfracture is a, is a word yeah. you don't really hear oh. very much anymore. And you got Amare yeah, and Brandon Roy and Greg Oden there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. LaMarcus, a lot of really good players. So there was an ESPN report that that talked about Kyrie with the Nets, and there was so much good reporting in this story that it got um, aggregated into a, a headline that he was moody. Yeah. But I'm wondering, from your perspective, what was it like having Kyrie, and is it okay to be moody? Is it okay to be distant sometimes? And when you needed him, was he there for you guys? Yeah, I think obviously he was there for us. I think each person individually is different, and I don't think that like. I don't know what the word moody means. Like, if some days he doesn't feel like talking to somebody, he is a grown man. Like, you don't know what's going on in his life. I think every teammate I've ever had has bad days. And so I think, like, sometimes I think we try to make stories where there's no stories or we don't really think about what we're reporting. And so it's like, oh, sorry, he didn't want to do something one time. It's like, that doesn't mean he's moody. It just means he's either having a bad day, which happens, because you see somebody every single day. You know, not every day somebody's going to be in the best of moods, man. Like, life happens outside of sports. So, you know, to say somebody's moody is just more like, dude, that's just him. Like, he's just, he's not, like, happy-go-lucky all the time. It's, 
no big deal. And as good as he's playing this year, I'll take Moody. I'll take Moody all day. <laughs> and isn't it hard for people to understand what these guys go through and the pressure, not just on the court of being a superstar, a global star like Kyrie, but also off the court, just people always coming at them, wanting things from them? A big yes and no, man. I think, you know, we we are people outside of sports. You know, we are more than an athlete. And I think um, sometimes people forget that and, you know, objectify us and just assume that we're supposed to always be this um, like loving, whatever, drop whatever we're doing type people. But, you know, like for me, there's an instance where I'm like eating my family and somebody comes up as like, hey, can I get a picture? And I'm like, hey, this is like my one day I'm at home. You know, I'd like to send down my family. No big deal. I'm like, that person I ended up finding out going on Twitter was like, you know, Channing Fry's a, you know, a mean person and doesn't give a shit, you know, about And then I'm TMZ like, picks like, that up and suddenly that's a... You know, and it's like, oh, now I'm moody or whatever, you know, and it's just like, dude, like, I'm with my family, you know. It's just like sometimes I think people don't see us as people. They just see us as like these things or these, these you know, they see us as superstars, but then they forget that we live real lives. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is you mentioned on the podcast, the Talking Blazers pod, that these athletes today are doing or asked to do above and beyond, or they're asked to do so much more than, say, uh, stars of, of previous generations. What did you mean by that? And, like, is that necessarily on court or off court? It would probably be off the court. I think right now in the digital age and the social media age that, um, you know, players are so accessible at times you know i think you look at like a guy like Kawhi, who is pretty quiet um pretty to himself and think about how much he's on tv where before you know everybody wants to know what everyone's doing all the time and everyone wants to know like what you're eating how you're sleeping you know what shoes you're wearing um it's just information about like how we live and i think sometimes you know older players could just live their life and everything was like word of mouth where now it's like, Oh, I saw 10 at the airport. And then like 50 people could say, Oh yes, I did see him too. <laughs> like like uh, Michael Jordan was in Atlantic city gambling uh, the night before yeah. a playoff game. Like that would not fly today. Yeah. Man. Like that would not right. it's fly. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, everyone would know where you're at and what you're doing. And uh, you know, privacy is a premium, man. And then even then it's like, if you're private, people are going to try to figure out what you're doing even more. So uh, switching gears to the nerdy basketball stuff here is you you played with, you know, the Cavs, the Suns, uh, Blazers, the, the uh, Magic. But one of the mainstays for your career is you always made teams better from an analytical yeah. standpoint, your on court, off court rating, meaning does the team outscore opponents better? when you're on the floor compared to when you're on the bench, it was positive for 11 yeah. out of 12 years. Oh, what year was that positive? That's a crazy stat. So a lot of that, you know, if you're coming off the bench, who knows if you're playing with LeBron and then beating yeah. up on second units. But I think it's uh, the one year actually was Orlando, 2014-15 season. Mm. But you were, yeah, you were we in a different terrible. role. Terrible. We were terrible. <laughs> it was a terrible – we had so much talent, and it was just sometimes when you have um, – we just had too many engines, not enough steering wheels and tires and seats, you know? <laughs> just we had so much talent, and they just refused to kind of like sacrifice for each other. Young Depot on that team. Yeah, um, oh, man. Tobias Vooch, Harris. Tobias, Vooch. Aaron Gordon. Yeah. Mo Harkless. Yeah, dude. Like, he was 20. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you look at that team, and you'd be like, dude, that team should have won so many games, but it was just like – 
nobody was happy for each other's success because they were all so talented, as we see, and they're all so good. And they were like, well, if he shoots 20, I should shoot 20. But there's not enough balls to go around. And they just couldn't figure out like how to work together. The reason why I bring up the on-court, off-court stuff is you do so many things in between the lines that people don't uh, maybe not track in the box score. But yeah. the thing that I think the Blazers need work on right now is screen setting. Hassan Whiteside, yeah. I covered him in Miami. And you yeah, can be yeah. the biggest dude with the biggest wingspan in the world. But if you're not at the right place or timing it at the right time, right angle – it's not a screen. It's not a pick. So yeah. can you walk me yeah, through yeah. what it takes for a big man to set the right screen and what sort of things you need to think about? I think it's all about angles, personally. I think, um, you know, for me, I was more of a pick-and-pop guy. But when I did roll, you have to make the defender or the guard go over the top of that screen to create space. Um, me, personally, I just don't think wide side. Like, I think he can give you a double-double every game. And that being said, I don't think he impacts the game um, as much as he should if he had more of a motor, right? And I think he can give you a double-double every game. I just don't know what those double-doubles equate to wins. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I think he's a walking double-double. But, like, is he going to, like – have energy on defense or is he just going to be big and just be there? Um, Like, and you're saying, like, does he set a screen or is he just kind of like rolling a little bit? You know what I'm saying? Like, is he rolling hard to get the ball, even though he knows he's not going to get it? Is he creating opportunities for his teammates or is he just doing it because that's the play and that's what he's supposed to do? You know, I don't know if he makes winning plays as consistently as I would like, but he is, talented at getting rebounds and especially offensive rebounds he's a monster but you know i just don't know if in this system where he has like guards who are generally you know shooters that he's really going to flourish yeah and defensively being in the right spot too is being in a pick and roll league where you know there's going to be 100 pick and rolls every night that you have to defend isn't that part of being an effective big man too that doesn't show up in the box yeah i just don't know you know i don't really see him switching out a lot obviously he's humongous and he's gonna get a shot he's gonna block shot but like they funnel everybody towards him so much it's like so much pressure on him you know i think in the backcourt they get beat a lot and just like, you know, the guy is averaging what, two or three, like one or two blocks a game. But you got to think of how many people are driving at him all the time. It leaves the weak side open for offensive rebounds. And as small yeah. as the Blazers are, you know, you can always have a huge big man in the game because when he plays, you know, so it's like now you're leaving, you're leaving one big man to go try to block a shot while the other big man is being trying to get boxed out by a guard. It's just a recipe for you know, disaster. And so they, uh, they got to fix some things. And, and I think Zach Collins was a huge blow for them. Yeah. Cause not only that, um, if they were going to try to get a big piece, I think Zach was going to be a part of that. Like, I hate to, I hate to put these guys on the trade block, but they no, have to have no, assets, no, no, no. Listen, know? I'm saying this right now. Everybody's on the trade block. Man. Everybody is always on the trade block and you're not doing, you're not saying anything that somebody hasn't already probably either brought up or like mention it but behind closed doors and i think you you think at the blazers if they really want to go for it they're going to have to really bolster up not only the bench but they're going to have to bolster up the front court you know you're putting a lot of pressure as blazers fans on nerd to come back and be like jesus mm-hmm. you know it's not going to work like that he hasn't played all year and then let's say there's an a spot and they have to go play the clippers or the, or the lakers in the first round even if it's denver it's still a a load trying to handle for a guy who hasn't played all you coming off a gruesome lake entry.
It's Peter King, host of the aptly named Peter King Podcast, dropping every Wednesday. I chat with big football people. Now I've added a second mini-pod dropping Monday mornings, capsulizing my football morning in America column. Listen. So does does uh, Nurk need some IVs? Like, what does he need? Does he need the Channing Fry treatment? What is that? Like, Dude, what? I don't know what he needs. I haven't <laughs> seen him play, so <laughs> he just needs to get back healthy, and then we'll figure it out. But he's he's going to help them, man. He's he was doing really good last year before he got hurt. Um, you know, he's slimming down. He, his energy, I like his energy. And I like his physicality down there on the block. He was a much better playmaker than people gave him credit for, too. Yeah, really um, smart player. Really smart player. Hey, Channing, um, is the yeah. bag empty? Is the IV bag empty? Are you done Yeah, there? yeah, I'm all done. I'm all done. Perfect. So what kind of vitamins are in that? Do you even know, or are you just like, hey, whatever whatever makes me feel better, put it in that bag? Um, you know what? I've been doing this since like 2010 with the Suns. So I literally forgot. I just come in once or twice a month. And they're like, same thing. It's like, you know, B12. Goodness gracious, they have a list here somewhere. But it's it's just kind of one of those things where you go in there, it's like, hey, I just don't want to get sick. And they put a bunch of vitamins in a bag and get you on your way. Well, with a family and, and kids running around, you know the deal. You got to put up, your, oh, yeah. you gotta put up the, big, the big defense against those, uh, <laughs> yeah. those germs out there, man. For sure. For sure. Can you plug all the stuff you're doing um, so that the people listening at home can uh, can find your work and get your insights? Yeah, so right now I have a podcast on NBC Northwest, and then I have a show uh, it's called Handles on TNT. That's on Wednesday nights, and then I am on the warm-up on Thursday on NBA TV and uh, TNT. So those are the things that I'm doing, and I have uh, another podcast, which is just fun, with Richard Jefferson and Allie Clifton, Road Trippin. Um, and we do that. I think we have maybe four or five episodes each year. Um, and so those are kind of all over the place, but I think for the most part, doing the Blazers podcast and then uh, doing uh, the, the Handle show on Wednesday nights on TV and the warm-up on Thursday, I'm keeping busy. Man, it's going to be a crazy season, especially for the Blazers, you know, trying oh, to get yeah. back to the Western Conference Finals, and you yeah, can catch it yeah. all on the Talking Blazers podcast with Channing Fry. Hey, man, be well, uh, and hopefully I'll see you, you on the road soon. Perfect. Thank you, man. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode with Channing Fry. Go subscribe to his podcast, Talking Blazers, over at NBC Sports Northwest. And if you haven't done so, subscribe to this podcast here, The Haber Show, wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review. Go tell your friends, your family, your pets. Tell them all. It'll help. Until next time on The Haber Show.